even today, you know, it's really just about following up, following up, following up. You know, I, mm-hmm. I told you before we hit record that we signed sort of a, a marquee client uh, mm, yep. this morning. Mm-hmm. And that was a result of multiple follow-ups and touch points, mm. uh, as is most of our fundraising for Offsite, as is, you know, a lot right. of good things in life. You just got to keep following up. So right. until they tell you no, or until they, you know, answer and say yes, just keep following up. Hello, hello, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the next episode of the Undefeated Underdogs podcast. I'm your host, Sharad. I'm so grateful to be here with this particular guest because the the guest I'm about to introduce is a TED speaker. He's an author of two like New York best-selling best-selling author uh, like books. He founded so many startups and he started his business at the age of 18. That's freaking phenomenal. So uh, I'm actually very stoked to invite this guest. Jared, welcome to the show. How are you feeling? Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure. And I I, I kind of like find uh, interesting people like you very ambitious. And your ambition is kind of like contagious and it rubs off on other people. So, and I hope like, you know, this conversation rubs off on people who listen and we can like get inspired, like at least like, you know, one or two people out there. So yeah, let's get into the conversation. I don't know, man, like there is so much Gerard did and I feel so small in front of him because it's like, you know, it's phenomenal. I feel like, where do I start? He he wrote like two of the amazing books, 2 billion under 20 and 3 billion under 30. I, I just want to like also unpack like why those titles came in picture. And you also... You also founded like this thing called Meeting of the Minds. It's a private invite-only network for entrepreneurs. And you did your own venture at the age of 18. My God, like you've worked with Fortune 100 executives, authors, Emmy Award winners. My God. So right off the bat, how did you do all this? Is there like a, like a secret sauce you found at the age of 18? Like, you know? Are you like a super superhuman? Yeah, uh, don't go to college, you know. If you're if you're a teenager <laughs> listening to this, uh, yes, I, I was fortunate. Uh, actually, at 16 is sort of when like my experience in the tech world begins. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading an article in Forbes uh, about the most connected man you don't know in Silicon Valley. Uh, this mm. guy David Hassel. Today, he's the founder and CEO of a company called Fifteen Five. Uh, which mm. is you know, probably close to a billion dollar valuation, have wow. 200 employees or so, and they're leaders in the employee engagement and mm. uh, performance management space. Uh, if you mm. don't know 15.5, you might know Lattice or Culture Amp. They're, they're all like very similar. Uh, right. I cold emailed David before the company was public uh, or publicly announced. Um, right. I ended up being employee six or seven at the company mm. uh, when I was a teenager. And right. I just work unpaid in exchange for uh, his mentorship when I first emailed because I was I was sixteen. I like just like, hey, I got nothing to offer you but time. Uh, right. Thankfully, they were willing to work remotely from, uh, or I, I was able to work remotely from South Florida where I grew up for uh, a Silicon Valley sort of venture back startup, um, mm. and that turned me on to the concept of offsites because I got to attend offsites for uh, a company that was remote first over a decade ago. Uh, right. certainly brought me into the world of tech startups. And as I was sort of starting to work for 15.5 and 
you know, tinkering with my own projects on the side, I came across the Teal Fellowship, uh, or mm. you know, the 2020, yeah, really. yeah. and so right. basically, the uh, if you don't know what they are, like they were Peter Teal had uh started giving kids a hundred grand to drop out of college, um, but mm. these are some of the smartest people you'd ever come across, like the founders right. of um. Ethereum and Figma and uh, there's like multiple multi-billion dollar companies now that come out of this you know group of maybe 200 people now um, hmm. but they basically influenced me not to go to college <laughs> and so uh, you know, like cold emailing David uh, and offering to work unpaid was one of the biggest uh, positives in my career early on the wow. Teal Fellowship uh, also came into my life while I was never a fellow uh, and never received that grant, they okay. did have a larger community around them uh, and, right. and okay. basically influenced me not to you know, go to college right away. I ended up never going to college. And then mm. through that community, uh, I got to go to a conference uh, and later multiple conferences where I was just meeting some of the smartest entrepreneurs, scientists, nonprofit founders that I'd ever met uh, in my life. And that were really unique from a sort of global uh, standpoint. And so that led to the books and speaking and all that. I was basically profiling uh, TL Fellows, Forbes 30 mm. Under 30 types. It then extended out to covering Olympians and actors and uh, other entrepreneurs. Right. And so that's what led to writing uh, a series of books uh, it was called two billion under twenty because there was there's two billion people in the world at or under twenty years old, and we were trying mm. to take a select group of them to inspire the rest of the generation to act on their passions in life. Mm. I later did the same thing with three billion under thirty. Mm. Um, <laughs> honestly, I think the titles could have been a lot better. <laughs> uh, they're like clever, <laughs> no, but they're they sell lots of books. Um, right. It's not like how to win friends and influence people. It's like you know, what, right. what's the book about? It's like influencing people uh, yeah. <laughs> uh so I, I do think i could have retitled the books but the the actual right. process of writing the books um speaking about it uh the networking that i was able to do through that process over many years led me to uh, current investors now and clients and uh key employees even uh mm. I've, I've been very fortunate that some of the early experiments that i tried like cold emailing someone i read about or you know trying to join a community like led to a lot of positive things now uh, right. and hopefully i'm doing things now like you know meeting people like you that leads to positive ripple effects in 10 years from now exactly that's that's what i think the the core uh pur pur purpose of an entrepreneur is to like is to learn something and pay it forward right i feel think about it David taught you something and you are teaching so many people out there and people who learn from you will teach, you know, and that, that, that viral effect, the chain effect will go on. And man, I love the story at the age of 16, kids tend to play video games or like sit, watch TV, like, you know, in their parents' house. What was, what was the influence that made you read that article? Like, there should be a bigger influence, right? Like, you know, either yeah. it can be friends or like family. What was that? Like who made that influence? Yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, I, I born a white dude in the U S like there's a lot of privilege in that, uh, that 
shouldn't be overlooked. Uh, and then also come from an entrepreneurial family. So mm -hmm. I got to see uh, a few successful businesses in the family. Um, but I wasn't sort of, uh, you know, I wasn't in line to join any of the businesses. Like I, mm. I was not entitled to anything. I'm still not entitled to anything. Um, so I grew up in a fortunate position to see what success looks like or can look like. Um, but certainly desiring to create my own path and do things my own way. Uh, and so that's a lot of my upbringing. Uh, I was working in the family. My, my grandma has a catering business that I was working at from mm. 11 years old until 16. Uh, <laughs> so certainly learned about work ethic from my family. And mm. then I actually tried tinkering with uh, some business ideas as early as 15, but none mm. of them ever quite got off the ground. They were more projects looking back as opposed to actual companies. Yeah, I would say the first, right. first like real company I started that generated revenue that I could pay my bills on was at 18 when I, when I left 15.5. Um, but I did tinker with things, uh, a few ideas when I was 15 and like they weren't going anywhere. So, um, yeah, I definitely, and I had a, a, like a negative experience with a mentor. Um, mm. And so when I reached out to, uh, yeah, I, I was working for like six months with um, this guy I, I met. Uh, turns out he was a former white collar convict uh, and spent oh, time God. in prison for securities fraud on Wall Street. And so uh, that probably, that that's probably the very specific relationship that led me to read about David in Forbes mm. and reach out to him because I, he, he was the complete opposite of this other person I spent six months hanging out with and trying to learn from. Um, so if you want like one relationship is sort of like the opposite and caused me to really go for it the next time around that, that was it. I don't talk about that one as much, <laughs> but uh, right. yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. It, I, I grew up in a very fortunate position, have a great family, um, but then also had some of those maybe failures or like negative experiences that quickly led me to seek out a more positive uh, option. And sometimes I feel like uh, if something bad happens early in your life, that is actually good. If you think, if you put, put it in the right way, right? Like in your case, like, you know, you've gone through something and which actually made you like seek something better than what you were before. Uh, and if I'm, if I may ask this, what was the call me email like? What did you ask, David? Uh, is there any particular thing that you like, you know, uh, that you want to share with us? Then what made you like how David actually got it to you? Like, okay, let me pick this kid out of, I don't know, how yeah, many uh, emails you got at that time? I think practical that, you know, and, and I didn't do this as cleanly as I'm recommending, but, you know, if you're listening to this, I think any cold email where you're personalizing the outreach to the other person, making it all about them, mm -hmm. uh, trying to provide value up front. So mm. in, in this case, I was offering to work unpaid uh, in mm. exchange for mentorship. Um, I later replicated that same uh, offer to get my first consulting client who happened to be mm. like a number one New York Times bestselling author, um, mm. offered to do like a month of work unpaid uh, in exchange for the relationship and the opportunity mm. to you know, earn more business potentially. Um, mm. And then following up, 
uh, you know, it did take a couple follow-ups to land that one. And then even today, you know, it's really just about following up, following up, following up. You know, I, mm-hmm. I told you before we hit record that we signed sort of a, a marquee client uh, mm, yep. this morning. Mm-hmm. And that was a result of multiple follow-ups and touch points, mm. uh, as is most of our fundraising for Offsite, as is, you know, a lot of good things in life. You just got to keep following up. So right. until they tell you no, or until they, you know, answer and say yes, just keep following up. I like that. And uh, I do have like a separate question on, on, on the whole cold emailing thing, but do you think people feel like, A, I feel people who appreciate the cold emailing or approaching randomly uh, or people who've done that before, they appreciate you following up so many times because they see that persistence in you. Right. But what about like people who are like, man, this guy's annoying. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get some of that for sure. Uh, right. I think in, Any in the world, you're not sending that many cold emails. Um, I, I wrote a, a, a new book actually called networking um, and sort of talk about, which hopefully is a much better title than the previous books, right? Like, <laughs> what's networking on? <laughs> it's all networking. Um, right. But if you don't have any network or community, then you're in a position where you have to send cold emails or DMs, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then as you build your network, you can start asking for uh, warm introductions and you can start posting uh, about things and having people come inbound to you. Uh, right. And that's sort of a more ideal scenario, but uh, right. cold email still works. Uh, yep. We do it from a sales standpoint with offsite and we're doing a much greater volume there. Yep. You know, we're sending thousands of outbound emails a month. And right. so you know, naturally we're getting a few people that are like, stop emailing me. Uh, and, you know, statistically <laughs> you're going to get some of that, but I do right. think people appreciate uh, pleasant persistence. So mm. I like that. That's, that's what saying. I go for. I go for pleasant persistence. Uh, you can use gifts and like, you know, funny things to sort of break the ice. Um, but also like, just because someone's not replying doesn't mean uh, they don't want to work with you. Like either they just didn't see the email or they're busy mm-hmm. or they were on vacation or they're, there's a million things that could have happened. Maybe they meant yep. to reply to you and like it's in draft, but they never sent it. Uh, right. so I, I just think it's worth following up. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, what I call uh, when I do cold DMs. So I've built my whole career on cold DMs. You know, I've approached Nawal Ravikant just by emailing him cold from a project I did. He responded and I did like so many, you know, some of these podcast episodes, they were cold. David Perel just approached him cold. He applied and said yes to the podcast. So I got my first tech startup job by cold DMing people. (laughs) So the power of cold DM is so underrated and people still often feel like there might be a, like a negative mark on their brand if they approach someone with an ask, but definitely not like people authentically, if you're authentic, like you said, when you make more about them and less about you, and you present the value to them, you know, people usually tend to like, even this conversation, I just called DM randomly, right? Like you personalize it. You said, Hey, like saw your funding announcement. I have this podcast. You want to come, you know, talk about offsite and here we are. Yeah, there you go. So 
definitely do people you know i encourage people to like you know cold dm and i i really like the word you said pleasant persistence which is adding flavor adding that color to those messages the copy so instead of like being very serious or uh being annoying right so i love that as well but uh i think like you said it's when you assume positive intent if other people are not replying to you your life becomes so happy and easy or else you'll tie up you'll be tied up to this ridiculous expectation like everybody should reply to you right so that's what i do like when someone doesn't reply probably they're busy or you know give them some benefit of doubt right so is there any advice that for for the time you give for others and the value you get the knowledge you get right that's like the biggest trade off you know that you the biggest trade you're doing right anything that you do differently or what should people gen z especially people kids who are like with lowest attention span what should they do to be in your position yeah i'd be very intentional about who you reach out to and the value that you're looking to provide to that person uh mm. i i was fortunate in that i reached out to the right person for me um mm-hmm. but i was probably less intentional about emailing you know david from 155 versus when i did it later um a couple of years later i cold emailed keith farazi number one new york times best selling author of never eat alone and i was mm. writing books i wanted to learn how to market those books um mm. i was building a brand around networking and relationship building and so i reached out to the guy who wrote the best selling book on it uh so i was much more intentional the second time around but in both mm. cases uh i was clear what type of person i wanted to work with learn from meet and then i was very clear about the value i could provide them which when you're young it's typically your time uh so offering to work unpaid in exchange for someone's mentorship or if you're trying to land a key client offering to do a month of work for free uh, hmm. when you're young uh, or really at any age but especially when you're young uh you can just be very selective and offer uh, an insane amount of value typically with your time and right. prove yourself and then it becomes a lot easier to get more clients like that um leverage the relationship you have with that mentor to get access to other people uh and sort of build off of those initial experiences. Hmm, I love that. That's that's very key, right? Like intention is uh I think probably the differentiating factor between uh those who seek materialistic things versus those who play long game. Like they just like they want to like learn insanely, you know, unlimited learning and whatnot. So I love that talk to me about your the marketing consulting uh company you founded at the age of 18 like i think if i'm not butchering your last name clenet ventures is uh, did i do it right or <laughs> uh if i could go back at you know to uh 18 i probably would have started a tech company sooner um oh versus okay. doing the speaker author consultant part of my career but uh right. you know, every, everything happens for a reason um absolutely but i and why is that why 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 is that like why did you feel like you want to start a tech startup versus you know a consulting yeah, company yeah i mean i i wanted to start something like offsite ever since i was at 155 it was really exciting to be in the early days of a venture backable business uh i mm. happened to pick uh a company that then 
grew to be hundreds of people and like, you know, is a, is a billion dollar company or will be very soon. Um, it's really hard to know which companies like are, are going to get to that sure. size. Um, but yeah, what, what I, I basically started Kleiner Ventures to pay my bills because I decided not to go to college right away. And so I needed to be financially independent. Uh, mm. And I also wanted to do something where I could, I, I was being very intentional, but I wanted to pay my bills in as little working time as possible. And I wanted to right. essentially get paid to learn the skill sets I wanted to to learn. And so uh, right. I did some marketing and business development work when I was at 15.5. So I was able mm -hmm. to take that and maybe bring it to another industry. Uh, I was also working on my first book at the time. And so I wanted to learn how to market a lot of books. Uh, also learned under David about sort of networking and relationship building at the personal level. So right. I made a short list of people like Keith Ferrazzi. Uh, I think Adam Grant was on that list and you know a few other like New York Times bestselling authors who also had a reputation for being well connected and network. And yeah, just, just offered to work on paid in exchange for their men, uh, for, for an opportunity to work with them. Um, a month of free work for Keith turned into having him as my first ever client. Uh, and again, I wasn't as intentional as sort of I, I can talk about looking backwards. Like I really was looking for a job, Keith <laughs> mm. for a job. <laughs> it just he wanted right. to sign me as a 1099 contractor, which made him my client. And mm. and I was like, holy shit, I have a number one New York Times bestselling author as my first ever client. <laughs> you know, it's going to be <laughs> easy to go get other authors and speakers as clients now. And so that's mm. that's what I did. Uh, I, I leveraged that first case study to go get other clients. And then yeah, I was uh, getting an opportunity to practice book launches. Like I helped with Never Eat Alone, Expanded and Updated. Um, right. And then I worked on a few other book launches. And then I had my books and that opened like a speaking component to my business. And then mm -hmm. that sort of opened up facilitating for executive offsites in the Fortune 1000 um, as you know, companies that wanted to market to millennials saw some of the speaking stuff and the books and then realized I did marketing consulting. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was kind of random for a few years, but it was really uh, taking some skill set that I had around marketing uh, and, and business development, applying it to a new industry, perhaps mm. being somewhat intentional about getting a first client that was an ideal client um, mm. And then leveraging that first case study to go build my business. Uh, and yeah, I, I definitely would recommend doing that again. You know, like if you're starting any company, trying to land your your ideal clients up front makes it that much easier to go get more clients like that in the future. Even if you have to yeah. discount, even if you have to offer for free, I think that's a very good strategy. Yeah, I love that. I think it's kind of like a networking effect, right? Like you, it's snowball. You only have to get one big, you know, whale and every every other fish will like, you know, follow you. Uh, talk to me about exp working with these incredible people who you look up to, right? Like it's not, it's not something like everybody gets an opportunity to work with your heroes, right? And how was that experience laid a foundation for the post Jared 
ventures like you everything you did like meeting of the minds you know offsite now you're writing two books giving a tech talk that there is there is there should be some solid foundation so talk to me about that how did you feel working with these insane minds yeah i actually think i most value my peer relationships right now and so and i mm-hmm. talk about it as having like three different kinds of mentors uh so you can have your mm-hmm. traditional mentors uh which are you know david from 155 um keith frazi was certainly like a mentor and then i had i did have a handful of more traditional mentors earlier in my career and that was certainly valuable for uh perspective for new opportunities for opening you know certain doors and providing access and i i do think that's a, a very important part of any healthy diet <laughs> is uh you know traditional mentors uh hmm. i think where you can add to your diet uh is with peer mentors and then also with virtual mentors uh and virtual hmm. mentors are podcasts it's books you know 99% mm-hmm. of all recorded human history is available to you without having to talk to Tim Ferriss or without having to yep. you know meet Tony Robbins like you can get mm-hmm. everything they would tell you in person through mm-hmm. something they've recorded or written and shared online right. um except for in very rare scenarios where it's contextual and related to mm-hmm. what you're going through right now in which case i think peer mentors are where uh they can fill in the gap and you know, especially as you're going through certain experiences in life, um, like being a startup founder, you know, I most resonate with other founders that have had similar challenges that I've had that are around the same size as our business, or maybe they're like one step ahead. Uh, mm. But those are the people that I'm seeking uh, most you know, to spend most of my time with. And I value their input. Uh, probably more than I do traditional mentors right now, uh, or even like we have angel investors that are running, you know, companies that are, you know, unicorn tech startups. Uh, mm-hmm. We definitely try and bring them in whenever possible, but they're also just plain busy and don't have a lot of mm-hmm. time to help. So any, even the help they're offering, like, you know, they're one of them runs like a 1300 person company <laughs> and we have 11 right. full time. Right. And so, to, right. you know, to hear his management style and experience like may not apply to what we're going through right now. Mm, I love that. I really love the concept peer mentors. I feel like, uh, and so I think in my experience, I kind of learned how to tap into the, uh, into the network, like truly network of people who are like 10 or 20 steps ahead of me. Like, for example, you know, cold emailing Naval, he's like way ahead of me. How do you build peer mentor network? Like, is there a, is there a method you followed? How did you find these interesting people who are also in the same level or like you said, one or two steps ahead of you? Yeah, I think there's a few strategies. Um, one, you could find communities that are pre-existing. So finding sure. the teal community early on. Um, mm-hmm. spent some time in the Forbes 30 under 30 community, uh, mostly online, but they, they also had some events. Um, so finding pre-existing communities, whether they're event-based, whether they're online, that's a great mm-hmm. place to start. Uh, you can always start your own community and, 
be the person that invites everyone else to the party. And I've, I've had a lot of success sure. with that over the years uh, through sure. projects like 2 billion under 20 and 3 billion under 30. And that extended mm -hmm. to online communities. And then I've always had some sort of community related thing to my, to my work or, or connection related Absolutely. thing to my work. Um, right. Even going so far as to start a mastermind group, which the very, right. uh, the very value of something like meeting of the minds and, and attending those mm -hmm. events, being part of that mastermind group is in the community. Um, right. And then there's things like joining mastermind groups. If you don't start one or you, know, you could basically like pay your way into certain communities. Um, so like I'm a, a member of Hampton, which is sort of a new CEO yep. peer group uh, that started mm -hmm. Uh, maybe a year ago or a year and a half ago from from Sam Parr, who's uh, the founder mm -hmm. of The Hustle. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, stuff like that. You know, I, I joined or were backed by an accelerator. And so I'm part of uh, a sort of a Slack community around other founders mm. that are backed by the same VCs uh, as I am. Uh, and then just over the course of like a decade, just meeting people, staying in touch, you develop your peers that way as well. Sure. Yeah, and in this in this last two minutes, you've repeatedly said community, you know, community, 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 and I think that's that's the that's the, like the foundation that every founder are right now like craving for, right? So, in your experience, what are some lessons of community building that you've learned that you want to share with you know the audience? Probably pretty similar to other things we've talked about uh, in terms of, you know, identifying who your ideal peers are and then looking to join communities where you can meet lots of those people at once. Um, so having attention around that, uh, pro providing value once you join communities. So not being salesy when you join a community, but looking to help other members of the community. If you really want to be intentional, like target the curator of the community and try and provide lots of value to that person um, because they can connect you to everyone in the community. Um, yeah. I mean, don't, don't be afraid to invest in communities as well financially. That that's probably the one where most people avoid, but it's such a cheat right. code. If you're able to uh, join a mastermind group uh, or, or things like that, or an accelerator, you know, provide it's a good one. Um, and like accelerators, you're not paying in cash, but you're paying in equity, which hopefully is more valuable. Uh, well, so, yeah, there's a filtering mechanism that comes with that investment. Uh, right. Or yeah, maybe there's a community that you have to apply for. Uh, right. Even if you don't pay, there, there's sort of a filtering of that. So I, I think that right. filtering mechanism is a very good thing, provided that community is full of your ideal peer mentors. And then just being, you know, being valuable. Um, and that could come through amplifying their work. It can come through celebrating their work. It can come through introducing them to potential clients or, um, new job opportunities. You know, there, there's so many different ways to be valuable, uh, even just listening to them if they're going through any issues and sort of work, working through those issues with them is, is very valuable. Yeah. And I think what you said is absolutely true. Paid communities kind of eliminate a lot of friction because the quality is so high very few people can afford it and and almost all of them are intentional because they're they're like you they want to meet other people and learn from them so i feel that's like uh like you said it's like a 
you know uh, a trick like uh, like a shortcut yeah, you know, code, to get yeah. into that cheat code yeah so i love that and what made you write these books is there a is there a particular intention behind it that the lessons you have learning and you want to share it and what was like the inception of writing Uh, I mean, I don't know if I would have picked books as the medium sort of looking back, but I, I had a personal, uh, interest in writing. Uh, and so it, it was a pretty unique experience. And like, I, I Mm. intend to write more books in the future, even if they're not meant for commercial success or, uh, or whatnot. I don't know. It's just a lost Mm. art form. (laughs) I I do think writing (laughs) though is, is a very powerful tool. Uh, right. whether it's writing or it's speaking like a podcast or video mm. like YouTube, I, I think it's worthwhile picking, uh, one Absolutely. of those, you know, a written, a spoken, uh, a, a recorded medium and right. documenting thoughts, interviewing people, um, publishing on some regular basis. I, I do think that is a very good practice. Uh, and you can build your own community through that, you know, especially if you're intentional about it. You know, I've mm. had like I've tried a podcast before, but I just what wasn't successful in doing it the right way. I've had a newsletter before, mm. which I was better at, um, mm. and now now we're starting to build some of that with with offsite and publishing content regularly. Um, but that's more of like a marketing thing. Um, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I... Books books were just a random you know medium. Uh, right. It led to some good things, so. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> I'm sure. I feel like people, you know, must have learned a lot of ton of things from those books. So I feel before diving into the, uh, you know, I want to unpack how you got into offside. What was the idea? And you said you had you had that idea before, like you know, way way years before, right? Like starting at fifteen five, still have that intention of like doing something. Uh, but before going there. Talk to me about your TED, you know, session. And the topic is why young people hold more power than ever before. So talk to me why. Like, if you want to gist the whole conversation in this, like in the, in the next five minutes, that's super awesome. But anything that you've learned, I think it, it was in 2015, if I'm not wrong, or right, like around that time. So it's been like, what, eight years. So do you want to add something to it? Or do you want to first have to remember what I said in order to add to it? Uh, No, (laughs) I I was fortunate enough to do um, TED at IBM. Uh, I had a a friend that was working at IBM at the time. They were doing an event with the TED organization. And Mm -hmm. uh, she invited me to apply to speak. They asked me to speak, which is another reason for doing things when you're younger, because purely the age uh, difference or the fact that you're young is a differentiator uh i think it's less and less of a differentiator you know like back when i gave the ted talk like i was 19 at the time uh and that was a differentiator um now 19 is probably not as impressive you know so maybe the 12 year old listening to this should to try and give the ted talk (laughs) and uh, (laughs) leverage that right no i i was the, the talk was basically around like why uh young people have had success faster in their careers um, and why that wasn't really possible even like two generations before. Uh, And it basically boiled down to uh, being able to 
well, there's like crumbling institutions. Like there, there is no uh, clearly defined path of success with a lot of new technologies or with a lot of new like problems to solve in the world. Uh, we have social media and the internet and other technologies where if you solve a problem and you can provide value to people, you can amplify that greater than ever before. And then there was this concept of uh, out collaborating the competition where you, you see social media influencers all the time doing collabs, or you see um, companies like Duolingo that build technology in a very iterative way. Like as you use Duolingo, you're translating parts of the internet and then helping right. them sort of build their audience and build their community. Uh, right. You know, so finding those like partnerships or doing collaborative projects like the the book series where I, instead of just being a sole author, uh, I did mm. an anthology where 75 people were contributing their own stories to the book and then had vested mm. interest in promoting the book. Um, mm. So, you know, a few of those like major threads were, you know, why young people hold more power than ever before. But uh, mm. I would also argue anyone can leverage those ideas regardless of age uh, sure. to sort of <laughs> achieve exponential success in record time but what is something that you've i think writing books i think those are all i feel still uh still play a big role for youngsters to like you know if someone is at 18 and they start a podcast and they do it for 10 years they're still young <laughs> that's ridiculous yeah right they're they're like below 30 and they, they they've done one they picked one skill or a craft and they've spent like 10 years solid so that's like an unfair advantage uh, for young people, Any anything, right? But given the age we are living in, we're, we're like attention span is so uh, short and people are like moving super fast. Content is all over the place. What is something that you add to that talk or what is something that you've learned that probably, you know, that you discovered hope? Oh, this is what young people have an advantage too in this age like you know we are moving at yeah. a very fast rate. it, it might AI be around everything. being patient um and may like maybe adding resiliency to that like mm. one of the things that i've worked on the most in the last few years is just building more mental toughness and um being able to deal with problems as they arise mm. uh and like i've uh, i've proactively worked on that by uh, like I run like an ultra marathon once a year and like kind of mm. purposely under train so that the day of the race is just super terrible and painful. Um, but I, I <laughs> so can, you go through I the suffering to Right. Uh, and then I also picked up uh, jujitsu in October. And so like three times a week, wow. I'm going to class where someone's trying to like break my arm or break my leg or choke me out. And, you know, of course it's all safe and you like you tap out or whatever. Um or, or even just sort of taking on very hard challenges and then dealing with the ramifications of it. Um, I think mm. building that toughness and resiliency and then applying it to like the same thing for a long time, you know, it's going to take a few years for any business to get off the ground. Uh, it's going to take a few years to build any sort of following or, or community. Uh, mm. Even if you don't do it for a podcast or a, uh, newsletter, you know, building your own network is going to take time. So right. uh, I think you're on to something with uh, patience and sort of maybe adding in some resiliency um, around that. And 
It's going uh, it, life's going to happen to you whether you whether you wanted to or not. Or, you know, so might as well just be prepared to deal with hard stuff. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. No, I'm I, I wondering like why you want to go to jujitsu because you're building a startup which is equally like painful or hard, right? It's <laughs> it's like it gives yeah, you so many way, though. Like, like it, you know, if like something comes up every single day almost that's like someone sends you an email that you don't really like or some problem comes up and right. you know you can just remind yourself like no one's literally trying to choke me out right now <laughs> like i'm not gonna <laughs> die <laughs> so let's take a deep breath let's just right. solve this problem and uh you know or <laughs> like if you just wait like a lot of problems go away as well yeah, yeah absolutely yeah i think uh i recently sh- uh saw this show on peacock you know hosted by rain wilson it's a geography of happiness or something like that under the li- under those lines and the first episode he went to iceland and the unofficial iceland motto is apparently they believe that everything will work out by itself that's it like if you believe in that it for some reason like you know all those people are happy because they think the problems will go away fade away by itself and like you said if you play long enough you'll figure it out right and if you play like 10 20 years ago if you want to be in the same game iterate to being patient something will something will come in and you you'll you'll, you'll know the answer one way or the other so it's I, kind yeah, of like that i i think it's more nuanced like there are some things where if you just wait it'll work itself out and then there's other things where you need to address it immediately um absolutely for well, sure you won't live to see the next day and that you know like jujitsu is a good example of that too like yeah you know, if mm. like you can get in a certain position and it feels bad but you're not actually being attacked it's sort of you're just in a bad position but like if someone right. puts their you know arm around your neck <laughs> then you have to address their arm and try and remove it uh, you can't right. just wait for them to take their arm away. Like that's not going to happen. So it is based on there is some you know nuance to it, but uh, right. yeah, like practicing resiliency is good. Um, it's definitely made running uh, a startup easier and like being able to cope with stress and mm. learn how to uh, handle it. And I, I also like work with executive coaches that help with that. Um, mm. I talk to peers all the time. So yeah. I think building this ecosystem of support, building coping skills for that um, are all super important. Yeah, I love that. And so one of the one of the follow-up questions I have is not everybody are going to wait, right? For some folks, so for, for some founders, things work out really fast. Like it feels like they've made uh an overnight success or they made something out of like from nowhere due to luck or timing or whatever you want to call it really happens and for for certain set of people it really takes a lot of time like you have to put the effort like you said address those urgent issues and you keep on going and like you know eventually something will happen how do you what do you how do you like you know manage comparison do you ever compare or if something arrives in your mind how do you like like dodge that bullet and still focus on the mission the bigger picture what is your mental methodology or like any framework do you want to share 
No, I don't. I don't have a good framework for that. <laughs> I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I, it goes back to intention, maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm. I feel pretty clear about what I need to be doing today, this week, this month, and that's all I can focus on uh, at mm -hmm. the moment. Uh, it, it's. It's also. It's the only thing that's going to matter is my inputs. I. I can't necessarily control the outputs. Um, right. Like it's also running a startup's hard. So like I'm not in that position right now where things are just like we're you know success is happening overnight. Um, mm. I do feel like things are happening for us, and and like we get really good opportunities. Um, however, mm. I I think it's somewhat of a byproduct of just a lot of input right now, and so I'm focused on the inputs and what I can control. Um, I mean, certainly I can see other people maybe having success faster or this or that, but, uh, you know, I can only control my life and, you know, my inputs, uh, you also have no idea like what they're going through. Like they, they might be more of an underdog. They might be less, they might have a great career, but, um, personal life could be, you know, terrible. Uh, so I think, I think I heard it from like Chris Bosch, um, the, the NBA player and I'm, I'm like a diehard Miami Heat fan. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> he said, I think he said something to the effect of like, if you were at a table, uh, and everyone like dropped their problems on the table and you mm. got to see what everyone else was dealing with, like you would probably pick your problems up again <laughs> <laughs> instead of trading them with yeah. others. So like, I, I feel, uh, yeah, I mean, for all the challenges that I've faced or that we've had with, um, with work or blah, blah, blah. Like I feel super grateful for what I have. Like, um, I think you can reframe any challenges you're going through as sort of a opportunity to get your black belt in some, you know, in like whatever you're, sure. you're struggling with so that later you're going to be more experienced and can, you know, benefit as a result. Uh, mm. so yeah, I think it's all, it's all on the framing and you can only control what you can control. So I'm it's all, it's all in the narrative, right? Like it's all in your own, you know, the, the storytelling you tell yourself in your mind or uh you have like you have like a zen type of uh mentality like you know it's very calm in the last 45 minutes you were like you're very clear very on the intention you know what you're talking about and you're you you acknowledge like you know if there is nothing there you acknowledge basically so i i like people like you and that's why i said in the beginning that you know ambitious people like you rub off on other folks because that's that's clearly like you know something that you exhibit right so uh man i'm appreciate so grateful it. that i will I brought you on the podcast yeah i appreciate the the comment um definitely not that way all the time but i think <laughs> it's, it's practicing like dealing sure. with yeah. randomness and you know whatnot that then allows me to hopefully come off that way more and more so uh yeah i appreciate it uh but i'm uh, glad at least i caught you yeah, exactly. on the right day yeah. right <laughs> Yeah. I'm in a good mood. Now, <laughs> let's talk about offsite. How how so let me tell you guys about offsite for folks who don't know. Offsite is the easiest way is a company and startup that helps other startups to arrange, manage retreats, offsites which are so important in team building. And if you are part of startup you'll know like you know your team probably had gone through a lot of shit just to host one 
yearly offsite and i went through like you know so much there's so much turmoil like you know to figure things out logistic wise and not not and it is it is such an such a no brainer idea to me at least that i always when i when i came across offsite i'm like why didn't i think about it <laughs> that was like my first reaction which it was so so obvious but so important at the same time and so effective and so impactful so jared narrate the story how did you end up building this what was like the back story of it what you're doing right now let, let, let's actually open the door yeah it was it was that decade of uh working for 155 you know being being at a venture backed startup uh that was a pioneering remote first company and i got to attend offsites back when that was a very unique thing uh so in many ways i got to see the future on that front uh and i worked at a company that helps other companies with employee engagement retention alignment uh so i was able mm. to connect that offsites can help remote companies with those things um right. and i took my 7 year speaker author consultant turn and i was speaking at facilitating hosting offsites essentially for those 7 mm, years okay. uh, that's interesting and maybe you know most of our clients right now are venture back startups or high growth you know companies and and i was speaking mostly to corporate audiences but you know i was speaking at offsites and uh right. i was facilitating executive team retreats mostly in the fortune 1000 um and then i was mm. running 3 day mastermind summits uh for 20 to 40 people at a time which is 100% mm. an offsite uh, and so during the pandemic uh i sort of uh had you know the realization that or, or i was betting that every company was going to go remote or hybrid um mm. because i saw that trend from when i was at 155 to pre-pandemic it went from mm. you know 5% of companies were remote or hybrid to maybe 15 or 20% of companies were remote or hybrid everybody, was yeah. betting on that trend and just thought the right. pandemic would move us forward which we've been i've been right about so far um i was betting that as a byproduct all those companies would have to play in offsites um because mm. running a company's hard and getting mm. everyone you know to keep the, keep them engaged to recruit great talent in the first place is uh, a challenge um to get everyone aligned is a challenge and so all the pioneering remote first companies like automatic um which right. they make wordpress and tumblr uh, they're now a corporate investor of ours which is really cool but like they were doing offsites mm. over a decade ago Buffer, Zapier, GitLab, you know, all these pioneering remote first companies were doing this over a decade ago. So, there's probably something sure. there and some reason they do it. Um right. And so I was betting that that would the need for offsites would explode. And then I was looking around and I didn't see any software that made offsite planning easier. And probably mm. the reason there wasn't any good software was because it was a niche problem before the pandemic. But right. post pandemic um you can see that there is a venture backable opportunity right there there can be a billion dollar company out of this um right yeah absolutely the actual market is uh, like corporate travel is expected to hit 500 billion dollars by 2030 and then offsites is a niche that is probably going to be 60 billion dollars give or take like of that by 2030 so it's it's a fast growing niche and then certainly what we're doing for like offsites could be done for conferences trade shows sort of other gatherings of people um 
So yeah, it was, was sort of betting on that. Uh, started mm. working during the pandemic on building offsite. Uh, certainly other companies have seen the same opportunities and have, have like we, we compete with a couple YC back startups and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a couple other companies as well. But I think my seemingly random experiences, uh, leading into the pandemic give us a unique perspective on this. Um, and it's allowed us to build product in a certain way. Certainly the team that we've built around this, uh, we're all sort of scratching our own itch from previous experiences in hospitality or working at marketing mm. companies or you know, dealing with employee engagement challenges at a remote first company. Um, mm. Yeah. And then we were able to like buy offsite.com and sort of try and build a category defining brand. Um, you know, we've been able to raise some money and, you know, start getting clients. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for what's to come. Um, I think we're trying to release this episode on August 15th, which is the day that uh, if you're listening to it on August 15th, we've just launched uh, basically Airbnb for finding your offsite venue. Uh, So we realized that one of the biggest problems in planning an offsite was uh, finding where you would have it. And it would take like over a month to go back and forth with hotels, actually sign the contract. And then there's so much risk involved with that. Like I, when I was doing meeting of the minds, like I overbooked room blocks at hotels and wasted mm. tens of thousands of dollars. Um, you know, there's like the, the food and beverage minimums and like attrition rates with hotels. It's just, it's really difficult to know what a good venue is for an offsite. Sure. And that decision impacts your travel and your flights. It impacts the rest of your agenda because it dictates all the activities you can do. It, it um, like meal options you have. Uh, so we decided that the first venue should essentially be a marketplace for finding your venue, being able to actually mm. secure a venue in a few clicks, um, mm-hmm. get discounts on your offsite venue um, and preferential treatment. And so we, we built that. You can just go to offsite.com, make an account for free um, and start searching the marketplace. Uh, and then, yeah, we're, we're on product hunt. So I uh, would love your support there as well uh i'm really excited because it's it's the first time in like two and a half years that we've sort of fully shipped a product that is software uh and we've we've been planning offsites as a service up until now we still do end-to-end offsite planning um where mm. we're doing venue selection negotiating contracting we're helping companies plan their agenda hour by hour we're managing the budget we're doing travel support um right on the ground support even but that's that could be a really nice business. Um, but I think having software starts to make it scalable to help thousands of companies and, you know, millions of people, um, who work at remote and hybrid companies. So yeah, excited to see how the, how the launch goes and hopefully it makes, uh, makes it easier and more cost-effective for companies to plan offsites. And then we got more software in the future that we're going to build as well, you know, but this is, Mm -hmm. this is the first product that, uh, we're launching, which is, uh, super exciting. I'm I'm rooting for you guys. Uh, you know, I'm going to like, like you said, even before, like I'll, I'm going to be on top of the roof, like shouting, like, hey, look at this. If you're a startup or a founder with the, with some money and you want off, you know, you're remote and you want to bring people together, your employees, this is the perfect way. Uh, well, yeah, we'll be, I think Protection will love, the community will love it. I was there for almost like, you know, for a year. So I know how things work and, I, you know, what people react to 
and i'm i'm having this conviction that you know people love it, love outside on the on the launch day talk to me about like the the difficulties of building a company like offside because it is not like a very straightforward the solution is not like you get on a platform and you basically like you know wrap it up type of a thing uh what are some difficulties that you've encountered and how did you solve in the whole in your experience of building offside yeah one one of the challenges has been starting as a service business and transitioning to a software business uh i think there's a lot of positives in doing that um for example the the biggest being uh, i believe we'll end up building software that is much more intuitive and Mm -hmm. actually solves a problem for people Mm -hmm. whereas some of our competitors you know or if you were just going about it as an engineer without ever talking to customers like you might build something useful, you might ship something faster, but it may not actually solve uh, the right problems or the biggest problems for customers. So uh, I think there was a lot of positives in uh, starting a service business and then working to build software. But it like that transition is very challenging uh, from how you build your team to uh, how you market yourself. Uh, you know, fundraising is has was interesting because we were like, yeah, we have traction, uh, but it's it's all service revenue traction, and we're trying to sure. tell a story of a venture backable startup. So, uh, sure. I think it's always it tough. almost would have been yeah. easier to fundraise with a much much lower traction, but one that was purely on SaaS subscriptions or you know on sure. some amount of marketplace transactions that was you know via software. Uh, right. I, I think there's pros and cons to it. Um, yeah, I, I, we definitely like made other issues, uh, which a lot of startups did in the last few years. Um, like we we overhired at one point. Um, mm. Yeah, we made some decisions on like early team members that didn't pan out, and so I, I think in those scenarios, it's. Uh, dealing with the problems as they arise, doing the best you can to solve them in the moment, trying to get smarter about it in the future. Um, like I, I, it doesn't make sense to sort of beat myself up over uh, previous issues. Um, even right. if they, like some of them may still have a ripple effect now, um, but I'm, I'm hoping that win. we just, we just win and winning takes care of everything else. Um, yeah. And we can sort of win despite the challenges. Um you know, despite being the underdogs versus like, you know, the companies that uh, got out, got out, you know, faster, got into YC, you know, had their initial community backing them, but then they amplified a, you know, a less than stellar product. Um, mm-hmm. And suddenly they're dealing with the fact that they have a product that isn't great. Uh, right. Or, you know, they don't have a resilient team like we do. Uh, and so right. I think there's pros and cons to all of it. Um, yeah. So... This is this is what we got, <laughs> but what we got is pretty awesome. You know, we got like I think we have the most yeah. friendly company. I think we have the category defining brand. Like you know, we've got offsite dot com. We, you know, yeah, there you offsite, go. Offsite, like uh, <laughs> I guess I learned my lessons from the books, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think you should do like a meme with Oprah. You get an offsite. You get yeah. an offsite. You get <laughs> an offsite. Yeah. You know, you have that brand presence. You know, which is. And the, the word offset is such a, such a like simple name, right? So, but 
when did you realize that service is not going to scale i have to like do this pivot and i have to move towards building a product because i since day I'm, one yeah it was it was uh yeah definitely part of the dna of the company it was uh like to go from services to tech enabled services to uh mm. software as a service right mm-hmm. uh, that's mm-hmm. literally where the phrase saas comes from yeah uh, yep. mm-hmm. so it it's i don't think it's an uncommon transition but it's there's pros and cons to it for sure. Um, so yeah, I'll, I guess I'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what's next? What's next for Offsite apart from the the product hunt launch? Anything exciting that your guys are cooking? You you kind of sound like like in your pitch, you're like Airbnb for finding offsite venues, right? So. Are you are you taking full inspiration from Airbnb because it's kind of like a similar thing, but for for offsites particularly, particular to that niche. Any yeah, uh, I mean, exciting things you want to share? Uh, we, we're we're expanding the marketplace into other categories, so you'll we can help you find your venues, and we we have that in software now. But um, back in the service realm, we have uh, a short list of speakers and facilitators that you could bring in for your offsite. Uh, we mm-hmm. pair people with their Uh, with travel support and with activity providers. Um, So we have sort of a multi-SKU marketplace already, uh, but we just have one main SKU in product. Um, So Mm. building out the rest of the product um, is is definitely a priority the rest of the year. Next year, uh, we'll be launching sort of the offsite planning platform. Uh, Mm. So I I have a very clear vision for that back from 2021, but um, Mm. essentially like, the Canva or the rippling to like allow you to start planning more and more of the offsite yourself um, as opposed to needing uh, a company like offsite. Uh, So that's sort of the future. And yeah, just, just focused on product hunt today and this week Uh, in early September, we're going to Saster, which is a big industry conference. If you're listening to this and you're going to be at Saster, um, shoot me an email or send me a tweet. Uh, we're doing a big uh, karaoke event on September 6th. Oh, nice. Um, so we already have the venue and everything, and we're, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Um, nice. Have a nice ground game. So like no, no booth sponsorship, but like, you know, lots of people at offsite running around with bright orange shirts and doing right. <laughs> concert. And um, yeah, after that, like maybe we'll do some sort of product uh, launch, like maybe like a smaller one in November, December, but Really just like earning clients, building the business, heads down. Right. Um, yeah. And hopefully, you know, raising a Series A sometime next year, launching mm-hmm. a second big product and sort of continuing to build offsite. I love that. And what an exciting way to build a startup, right? Like scratching your own itch and finding people that that have the same itch. And, you know, you've been sitting on this idea for so long after talking to you. That's what I felt. And I'm rooting for you, Jared, and the whole offsite team. I'm I'm here to support. And let's 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 make a big splash of it on the launch day when we when this goes out, the episode and the whole product hunt launch. You know, I'll I'll be there to amplify and whatnot. But any any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Anything that you want to say for the audience? No, go go check out up. Uh, go check out product hunts. Would love your support there. Um, check out offsite.com. There's no no cost to set up an an account. Um, no credit card required. So while we're doing that, you know, check it out. 
Awesome. Yeah, go check out people. We'll we'll put all the links in the in the show notes as well. But thanks guys. Thanks for tuning in. That's that's Jared and that's what he's doing it offsite. You know, do follow him. He's amazing as you know, like you you know, if you hear heard him. Uh but yeah, stay tuned for the next episode. Till then, take care, have fun, do whatever that thing you're doing. Cheers. <laughs>